but I know he has called me for a certain type of ministry. I believe beyond a shadow of that God has put me in place for this end time gospel to prepare the people of God for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And as a result, we preach a truth that may not be popular, but if you adhere to it, I promise you, it will allow you to see Jesus in peace. Amen. Amen. Truth be told, many of us don't realize we're not ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of a story we found with Jesus having this intercourse with Nicodemus. And at the time, Nicodemus was a member of the church in good and regular standing. He was a teacher of the people, but he didn't realize he didn't know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus as your personal savior, you aren't ready to be saved. Nobody's going to heaven based upon church membership. Nobody is going to heaven because you believe that Jesus died on the cross. I'm here to tell you the only way that you and I is going to get there and that foundation is laid in Matthew 4, 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I want you to know, in 2018, the Seventh-day Adventist Church still needs to go back to the word of God and begin living out those biblical principles. I'm here to tell you this morning that God has not changed in one iota. What was sin back in 1844 is sin in 2018. God does not concern himself with our cultural norms and mores. And I'm for one, I'm tired of people trying to impress upon us that there is a cultural interpretation of scripture. God doesn't concern himself with our cultures. He concerns himself with our character. There's not one iota of your culture that you're going to take out of here, but you can take out of here the character of Christ Jesus. And so it becomes important that you realize that you forget. Because see, when you become family, a part of God's family, your culture now is irrelevant. You are now a member of the family of God. And you are now not representing your culture, but you're representing Christ. And the representation of Christ is higher than any cultural norm or more that you can ever be exposed to. And so it's time we stop this foolishness. Tired of everywhere we go, you know, there's a white church and a black church and Hispanic church. Why can't we come together and worship as brothers and sisters in Christ regardless of our cultural differences? I'm here to tell you this morning, this ain't got nothing to do with my sermon. This is free. I'm here to tell you this morning that heaven will not be segregated. There won't be a white section and a black section and an Hispanic section. There'll only be people there whose character has been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And they won't care what your color or your skin was. They've gotten beyond that foolishness. People on their way to heaven, and yet we still can't worship together because our skins and our culture is different. When the Bible says, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, it is talking precisely about that foolishness. When the Adventist church begins to show to the world that we can come and worship together regardless of all the other things that are important to the world, then will people know. That we are the representatives of Jesus Christ. And until then, we failed him miserably. I had a situation where I met a friend of mine from high school. And he was a Christian and I was a Christian. And he asked me where I went to church. And me and my dumb self, I told him, well, you know, there's a white church in Boardman, Ohio. And there's an Hispanic church on the east side in Youngstown. And there's a black church up there on Indianola, and he looked at me incredulously, and he said, y'all still do that? 
And I was ashamed of myself because I realized we still do that. We still are comfortable worshiping based upon the color of our skin. Lord, help us that in these clothes and days of earth's history, we begin to represent Christ Jesus. Character, not color. Is that all right? That was free. Uh, Let me see. Here we go. Principle number one. Are you with me this morning? Principle number one. God who is himself truth and speaks only truth. What does he speak, saints of God? He speaks only truth. Y'all might as well talk to me this morning. You got to pay for this. God who is truth and speaks only truth has inspired the Holy Scripture in order to reveal himself to lost mankind. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, how much scripture? How much scripture? All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Saints of God, if there is one iota of text in the Bible that has any cultural emphasis on us, it ain't the word of God. You might as well say amen. I ain't even got started yet. The authority of scripture is a key issue for the Christian church in this and every age. And those who profess faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior are called to show the reality of their discipleship by humbly and faithfully obeying God's written word. How do they show it? By humbly and faithfully obeying God's written word. Saints of God, that's the divine blueprint. God's word. Are you with me this morning? Watch this now. To stray from scripture and faith or conduct is disloyalty to our master. How can we profess? And by the way, how many know what the number one fundamental belief of the Seventh-day Adventist church is? Let me tell you. The number one fundamental belief of the Seventh-day Adventist church is that we believe in the inspiration of Bible. And we're supposed to live by it, by every iota of it. So how is it that now we're coming with fancy interpretations of scripture in order to justify the iniquity that has crept into the church? To stray from scripture in faith or conduct is disloyalty to my master. I, I, I just got to share this with you this morning. God has left a divine blueprint. By the way, he tells us how we are to dress. Somebody say amen. amen. He tells us how we are to eat. Somebody tells amen. amen. He tells us how we are to order our home. Say amen. amen. God tells us how we whom to marry. Say amen. He tells us who we are not associate with. See, if you're going to be a part of this family, God got rules and regulations and guidelines. And he expects you to follow them. And if you're not willing to follow them, you might as well take your name off the church roll and go head on and have fun because you can't go to heaven any old way. Principle number two, the Holy Scriptures, being God's own word, is of infallible divine authority in all matters upon which it touches. What does that mean, Pastor? It means there's not one mistake in the word of God. You're not listening to me this morning. So when the Bible says he, it means he. No cultural interpretation. Coming to the point now where Well, somehow or another, we've allowed the feminist movement to infiltrate into the Advent church. So now we placing special emphasis on women's ministry. Women have always had ministry. It just wasn't as pastors and elders. When he says he, God means he. I know y'all didn't want to hear that, but that's all right, too. <laughs> Listen to this. 
referring to this word of God. It is to believe as what? God's instructions in all that it affirms. It is to be obeyed as God commands in all that it requires. How many knows that there is a difference between a command and a commandment? How many know that there is a difference? How many know you can be lost by breaking either one? See, Adam and Eve did not break a commandment. They broke a command. The command was thou shalt not touch nor eat of the fruit in the midst of the tree in the garden of Eden. That was not a commandment. But it was placed upon a thus saith the Lord. And so whenever you deviate from a thus saith God, you have now committed sin. You don't have to commit adultery to sin. You can wear inappropriate clothing and sin. John 17, 17. What does the text say, saints of God? Sanctify them how? Thy word is what? What is it, saints of God? It's the truth. The Bible is heaven's directory for men. How many understand that the only way for you to be lost is for you to deviate from a thus says the Lord? As long as you walk in that straight and narrow, you can be assured of you going to be in heaven. But you're on shaky ground when you start trying to figure out how far I can deviate from what God has said I should do and still be saved. Watch this now. Principle number three, scripture is without fault or error in all that it teaches. And how much that it teaches? All that it teaches. And so, saints of God, you and I have got to get back to that point where we start understanding beyond a shadow of doubt that all of the Bible is inspired from Genesis to Revelation. And every text, every line, and every syllable is relevant to your soul's salvation. The Bible is God's voice. Whose voice is it? The Bible is God's voice speaking to us just as surely as if we could hear it with our ears. So when you open up that precious word of God, you are to see the spirit of the living God speaking directly to you. He's not speaking to somebody else. He's speaking to you that's reading the word. Here to tell you this morning that God's going to hold you accountable for what's written in his word. Luke 6.36, Jesus asked this question, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Why do we call God God when we're rebellious, cantankerous, mean, and angry? Do what we want to do, but still want to call him God. Doesn't work like that, saints. Proverbs 30 and verse 5 says that how many of the words of God are pure? Every word of God is pure. There is everything, how much? There is everything plainly revealed in God's word which concerns the salvation of men. Everything in there is salvation relevant. And you and I got to get away from that point. We begin to think that this is not relevant and this ain't important. It's all important or it wouldn't be in the word. Now let's preach. (laughs) Bow your heads as we invite the spirit of the living God to come and speak to our hearts. Spirit of the living God, we invite you now to come and fall on us new and afresh. We invite your divine presence in this sanctuary. We pray that in love and in mercy, you would speak to our deceitful hearts. We pray that 
you would open our minds so that we could have clarity of understanding and then soften and subdue our hearts so that we will be willing to do that which is pleasing in your sight. I pray now, Father, that you would put your thoughts in my mind and your words in my mouth. And I pray that everything that is said from this moment moving forward would be acceptable in thy sight. And if you'll do these things for us today, I promise you, we'll give the name of Jesus the praise and the honor and the glory. Are you dressed for the wedding? Our text is Matthew 12. We're looking at verses, Matthew 22 rather. We're looking at verses 11 and 12. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? Bible says, and he was speechless. So what then is the meaning of this parable? By the wedding garment in the parable is represented the pure, spotless character which Christ's true follows followers will possess <laughs> revelation 19 verse 7 and 8 watch this text let us be glad and rejoice and give honor unto him for the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in what fine linen clean and white for the fine linen is what the righteousness of the saints so here we are. What is the text saying? You're planning to meet Christ Jesus, but you're planning to meet him with your own corrupt character. You must be prepared to meet Christ with the character of God in you. When God sees you, he ought to see a representation of himself. How many knows what it really means to be a Christian? It does not mean to have your name on the church roll. It means that you are in character like Christ. Amen. Amen. Ephesians 5.27 says that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy. And what else? Y'all know the text. Without blemish. Saints of God. God has always used the depiction of a woman and it is a reference to his church. The church is the bride of Christ. I'm not particularly fond of weddings, especially the way they carry it on now, but I've never been to a wedding where a woman goes to get married and she ain't all fixed up. How many been to a wedding and the woman wasn't decked out in glorious gowns and to the woman, to most women, that's just, you know, the grandest day. You look forward to that thing. How is it we look forward to the coming of Christ without having the character of Christ in us? It is the righteousness of Christ. His own unblemished characters that through faith is imparted to all who receive him as their personal savior. Truth be told, saints of God, it is possible to join the Seventh-day Adventist church and to be regarded as a member of the church in good and regular standing and to have never accepted Jesus as your personal savior. Truth be told, if you find yourself here and now struggling with a fuss, says the Lord, if you are fighting with what God says you ought not do and you trying to beg and ask the church, why can't I do what I want to do? Proof positive, you've never been born again. John 1.14 says, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power to do what? To become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. 
saints of God, when you are a born-again Christian, at that very moment, God gives you the power that you need to live the Christ life moving forward. When you find yourself struggling with sin in any variety, it is because your conversion experience has not been complete. Only the covering which Christ himself has provided can make us meet to appear in God's presence. This covering, the robe of his own righteousness, what is the covering? The robe of his own righteousness. Christ will put upon every repenting, believing soul. Saints of God, when Christ Jesus comes to your name, you better hope and pray he sees himself in you. Someone was talking about it in Sabbath school this morning. And if you allow me to share this with you, the reason Jesus has not come is because the church has not reproduced the character of Christ. Servant of the Lord says, when that happens, Jesus will come. Christ in his humanity wrought out a perfect character. In this character, he offers to impart to us by his perfect obedience. What kind of obedience? By his perfect obedience. Christ has made it possible for every human being to do what? To obey God's commandments. So saints of God, let's just tell it like it is this morning. When you sin and fall short, it is a choice that you have made. And because there's no failure in the power of God. Bible already says God is able to keep us from falling. So when I fall, it's because I have failed to rely upon the power of God that is able to keep me under any temptation. Y'all mighty quiet up in here today. You might as well say amen because I promise you it ain't going to stop me. You might as well say amen. Watch this now. Four things happen. Four things happen. I want you to get this. When we submit ourselves to Christ, four things happen. Number one, Read it, saints of God. What happens? Number one, the heart is united with heart. Number two, read it, saints of God. What happens? The will is merged in his will. Number three, read it, saints. The mind becomes one with his mind. And number four, the thoughts are brought in captivity to his thoughts. So watch this now, saints of God. So when I have the thought of God, when I have the mind of God, when I have the will of God, I live the life of God. This is what it means to be clothed with the garment of his righteousness. See, saints of God, many of us have never made a total surrender. It is possible to believe that the Seventh-day Adventist Church is the remnant church of God. Are you listening to me? It is possible to believe in Seventh-day Adventist doctrine. Are you still listening? And even with that, it is still highly probable that the vast majority of God's people have never made a total surrender. If you read your word of God, and we're going back to Revelation in chapter 3, when God's talking about the church of Laodicea, he says that the church is lukewarm. The church is what God says it is. See, we're getting caught up on, oh, we baptized 20 million. That, that's just a number. It is not indicative of the spirituality of the church. Because I'm an old-fashioned preacher, I question some of the baptisms in the first place. Y'all know I'm telling the truth this morning. People baptized in this church don't even know what the church doctrines are. But you count in baptisms. 
I'm told there was a true story. Somebody, after got baptized, uh, got introduced to the spirit of prophecy, and somebody wanted to meet Ellen G. White. Didn't know she died in 1950. Y'all mighty quiet. Watch this now. Watch this now. Many who profess to be Christians are what? Are such only in name. Why, saints of God? They are not converted. They are not ready for Christ's coming. See, if you ain't converted, you ain't ready to meet Jesus. Somebody ought to say amen. The end of all things is at hand. The Lord is soon coming. Already his judgments are abroad in our land. <laughs> have we the wedding garment on? Have we personal piety? Have we cooperated with divine agencies in a wholehearted, unreserved manner in weaving into our life's practices the divine principles of God's holy law? Saints of God, is it true? Can you say this morning beyond a shadow of doubt that everything that God has required of me that have I done? Can you say that this morning? Can you be honest? But standing in this sanctuary, can you stand and say, God, Lord, I've done all that you required of me. When Paul died, Paul knew he had done all that God required of him. Can you say that? This morning, have you done all that God requires of you? And by the way, some of us miss this, the vast majority of this. How many realize that part of your soul's salvation is that you out doing evangelism, trying to bring somebody else to Christ Jesus? How many realize this? That's part of your prerequisite for salvation. How many realize that you can't go to heaven by yourself? How many understand that the Bible declares that the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few? Truth be told, we're content with coming to church on Sabbath morning and worshiping on Sabbath, having done nothing for God during the course of the week. All we've done is gone to work and we made sure that we were able to make money so that we can provide a comfortable living for ourselves and for our families. We're at that point now where even midweek prayer meeting is a dinosaur. It's about gone. It's a relic. We're too busy. And I'll give it credit. We're getting a lot of education. We got a whole lot of alphabets behind our names. None of that will get you into the kingdom of God. Let me tell you something. Hear me carefully this morning. If you are too busy to work for God during the course of the week, you're too busy to be saved. Bible I study says seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and not taking care and providing for your own creature comforts. Claiming we believe we living in the closing days of earth's history but we don't live like it. How many this week warned somebody that Jesus was soon to come? How many? This week how many witnesses on their job to somebody this week? How many witnesses to their family that are unsaved this week? What did you do for God this week? Or has everything you've done been about you and your family? Do you have on the character of Christ Jesus? Christ, when he was here on earth, was about his father's business. And you and I need to be about our father's business. And if you don't know what your father's business is, you better get in the word of God and find out what your father's business is. 
Amen. It is one thing to talk the law, and it is another thing. I don't, can't see that down that far. <laughs> Romans 2.13. Y'all know the text. For not the hearers of the law. In fact, somebody quoted it in the Sabbath school. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but whom? Shall be justified. See, we, 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 we can wax eloquent in Sabbath school. The question is, can you live the life? Oh, it's getting quieter and quieter in here. Watch this now, saints God. Matthew 24, 44 says, Therefore be ye also ready. Why, saints of God? Why, why, why? For in such an hour as what? You think not what's going to happen. See, so while we getting so caught up in, and, and Ellen White uses this expression, she talks about being caught up in the cares of this life. See, you get so busy caught up in the cares of this life till you're not even reading the signs of the time. And even when you see in prophecies fulfilled, you're so devoid of spirituality that they have no impact on your life. Things are happening all around us. How many, by the instance, know that the Supreme Court justices of the United States, our vast majority of them are Roman Catholic. How many know that? Do you understand what that means? That means right now it's already in place. And watch this. And see, here's something that people don't understand. When you become a Catholic, you take a vow to do whatever the Pope tells you to do. So when the time comes, there's already enough people in the Supreme Court of the United States for you to pass legislation taking away from you your religious freedom. And we're sleeping and we're comfortable and we think everything is okay. But have we got our work done? Why my study says when Jesus comes, he has his reward with him to give to every man. How? According as his work shall be. It's not on the screen, but since it comes to my mind, let me share it with you. Ellen White was shown the vision of the judgment. She's shown it a couple times, but this one stood out in my mind more than anything else. She began to focus on a group of Seventh-day Adventists that were lost. And do you want to know why they were lost? She says they brought no souls to Christ. Their sin fell in the category of the sins of neglect. See, when you come into possession of this marvelous truth, you cannot keep it to yourself. You must share this truth with someone else. And God has made it that this, that this truth should have a magnetic effect. Everywhere we go, people ought to be gravitating towards you. Somebody ought to know that you're a child of God without you ever opening your mouth. See, I've been in the church long enough and my wife is back there and she'll testify. When I first joined this church, you could see a Seventh-day Adventist and know there were Seventh-day Adventists anywhere you went, any city in the United States of America. You'd see them. And then you could put them to the test. Let me go over here and see that they're Seventh-day Adventists. And you walk over to them. Excuse me, but are you Seventh-day? And nine times out of ten, they would be Seventh-day. You know why? Because they look like Seventh-day Adventists ought to look. Now we've gotten to the point where it's unpopular. And yeah, yeah, and, I, and I'm going to be honest with you. I'm probably one of the most unpopular preachers in the Adventism because I emphasize if you're a child of God, you ought to look like one. Amen. 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 If you are a child of God, you ought to look like you belong to God. Watch this now. 
It is possible for men to offer the Savior outward homage, to be Christians in profession, to have a form of godliness, to have what? A form of godliness, while the heart whose loyalty he prizes above all else is estranged from him. Such ones have a name to live, but what are they, saints of God? Word of God declares they are dead. Isaiah 23 29, 13 rather says, Wherefore the Lord says, For as much as this people draw near to me, how? And what else do they do? With their lips they do what? But what have they done, saints of God? They've removed their heart far from me. If God don't have your heart, he don't have you. Is that clear this morning? The Lord, God through Christ, hold out his hands all day long in invitations to the needy, he will receive how many? He will receive all. He welcomes how many? All. He rejects how many? It is his glory to pardon the chief of sinners. He will take the prey from the mighty. He will deliver the captive. He will pluck the brand from the burning. He will lower the golden chain of his mercy to the greatest depths of human wretchedness and guilt. But man was what? What must man do? He must will to come. What else must he do? And cooperate in the work of saving his soul by availing himself. Lord have mercy. I hate these screens. <laughs> Opportunities given him of God. <laughs> the Lord forces no one. The spotless wedding robe of Christ's righteousness is prepared by everyone by the marriage is represented what, saints of God? This is important. The union of what? Humanity with divinity. The wedding garment represents the character which all must possess. How many? Which all must possess who shall be accounted fit gifts for the wedding. In this parable, as that of the great supper are illustrated the gospel invitation, its rejection by the Jewish people and the call of mercy to the Gentiles. But on the part of those who reject the invitation, this parable brings to view a deeper insult and a more dreadful punishment. Can you understand this? Do you understand it is an insult to God for you to call yourself a Christian and not have on his character? It's an insult. What are you doing? You're taking the Lord's name in vain. You're going to call yourself a Christian, live like one, be one. 24-7, 365. The call to the feast is a king's invitation. It proceeds from one who is vested with power to command. It confers high honor, yet the honor is unappreciated. The king's authority is despised. What happens? His authority is despised. While the householder's invitations was regarded with indifference, the king's is met with insult and murder. In both parables, the feast is provided with guests, but the second shows that there is a preparation to be made by all who attend the feast. My job this morning is to get you to understand that there is a spiritual preparation that must be made in order for us to meet God in peace. And that preparation has nothing to do with your name on Brooklyn Seventh-day Adventist Church Row. That is not the preparation God's looking for. When the king came in to view the guests, the real character of all was revealed. For every guest at the feast, there had been provided what? A wedding garment. This garment was a gift from the king. By wearing it, the guests showed their respect for the giver of the feast. But one man was clothed in his common citizen dress. He had refused to make the preparation required by the king. Can I throw a rock this morning? Is it okay? Do I have your permission to throw a rock? I got your permission. I'm not here to hurt anybody's feelings. Are you here? Are you listening to me this morning? I'm not picking on nobody, but I got to get your blood off my head at the same time. Listen to me. Listen to me carefully. When you come to church on Sabbath, you're coming to meet the king of glory. 
you ought to dress like it. You're coming in the very presence of God. Oh, got real quiet on me. <laughs> See, here's what has happened. See, some of us don't even know what happens. The Catholic Church was the one that brought in this come as you are, wear anything you want to wear. The Catholic Church was concerned about numbers. They didn't care about nothing else. I'm old enough to know I wasn't born and raised in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, but I know when I was, whether I was Baptist or whether I was Church of Christ, on Sunday morning when we went to church, guess what? We had on a Sunday suit. We looked like we was going to church. Now we had a generation where the world now has impacted the church. And we're so concerned about people coming that we don't even tell them, you coming to meet God, you need to dress accordingly. Now, I know y'all don't want to hear that, but I'm telling you, this is relevant. So what are you doing, Pastor? You coming to meet the king of glory, but you improperly attired. Watch this now. What does the word of God say? When Moses was at the burning bush, what did God tell him to do? Take his shoes off. Why the shoes? Why the shoes? He was already out in the desert. Wasn't a whole lot. He couldn't change his clothes. But what could he do? He could take them shoes off. As an indication that he knew that that burning verse represented the divine glory of God. And so when we come here, watch this now. Watch this now. Please bear with me. Please bear with me because this is important. When you come to meet at church on Sabbath morning, guess what? God has promised to meet with you. Are you with me this morning? So you're coming in the presence of God. Saints of God, I implore you, let's act like we're coming in the presence of God from here on out. You can't do no better than God understands that. But I'll say this. People get mad. Last church I pastor, I told them, same money to buy common clothes, same money to buy a suit. It's just what you have a preference for. How many, I don't know why you want a meeting, but how many, if you had an opportunity to go meet President Trump, you wouldn't dress accordingly? I wouldn't go either, sister. <laughs> we don't want to go in there. <laughs> Saints of God, it's important. How many understand that that's part of reverencing the sanctuary? Are you with me? Are you with me? Now, saints of God, we're not here to try to make anybody uncomfortable. Are you following me? But as a pastor, I have to point things out because some things has become acceptable to the church that is not acceptable to God. Are you with me? By the king's examination of the guests at the feast, it represented a work of judgment. The guests at the gospel feast are those who profess to do what? Serve God. Those whose names are written in the book of life. But not all to prof who profess to be Christians are true disciples. Before the final reward is given, it must be decided who are fitted to share in the inheritance of the righteous. The investigative judgment started in 1844, and whose name was the first to come up? The righteous, before the righteous dead, did it not? So that judgment starts with the righteous dead, and then it goes, moves to what? The righteous living. So if it started in 1844, and this is 2018, where do you think that judgment is? It's on the righteous living. If we believe the signs of the time, if we believe that Jesus is going to come, that judgment has to be on the righteous living. So now when God begins to inspect your character, what does he see? This decision must be made prior to the second coming of Christ in the clouds of heaven. For when he comes, his reward is with him. Revelation twenty-two twelve. 12. 
before his coming, then the character of every man's work. What are we talking about here? The character of every man's work will have been determined. And to every one of Christ's followers, the reward will have been apportioned according to his deeds. It is while men are still dwelling upon the earth that the work of the investigative judgment take place in the courts of heaven. All the powers and the passions of a converted man are brought under the control of Christ. Did y'all get that? Watch this. All the powers and passions of the converted man. How many? How many? All. All. His spirit is what kind of a spirit? It's a renewing power. What does it do, saints? To the divine image, all who will receive it. See, you got to want God. To transform your life. And by the way. Let me say this. We got to stop telling our young people. It's okay for them. Not to make their call in an election sure right now. How many know tomorrow is not promised? How many know young people drop dead every day? How many know that? preaching at a church up in Maryland and we gave the gospel invitation and a young man came to church and the church was rejoicing because they've been trying to get him to give his life for a long time. That Sunday morning I got a call and it said Pastor Irvin have you heard and I said have I heard what? You know that young man that gave his life to Christ at your invitation on his way home from church, a tractor trailer crossed the medium, hit him head on, and he died instantaneously. Only a few moments after he made a decision to give his life to Christ. Pastor, why are you sharing this? Because I'm trying to tell you how fragile life is. We keep thinking that we got a long time. We keep telling our young people, you got a long You don't have a long time time to do all the sinning I did. You ain't got that much time tomorrow. You had better start making your calling and election sure today. How many know that young people going to burn in hell just like old folk? How many know that? How many really believe that? God is no respecter of person. The standard ain't Lord because you're a teenager. The standard of heaven is not lowered because you're in your 20s and 30s. The standard is universal. It's the same for everybody. And so we need to now start telling our young people today. Because see the Bible I read says today if you hear my voice, harden not your heart. When? Today, young people, today you need to make up in your mind I'm going all the way with Christ Jesus. Today. It makes me sad to say that this experience is understood by but a few who profess the truth. Very many, how many? Very many follow on in their own ways and indulge their own sinful desires. They have never submitted their hearts to God. Like the foolish virgins, they have neglected to obtain the oil of grace in their vessels with their lamps. I tell you, watch this now. This is why it's important. I tell you, brethren, how many? A large number who profess to believe and even to teach the truth are under the bondage of sin. What does that mean? It means that even the ministry needs to be converted. Question is, have you the wedding garment on, that garment will never cover what? What else? What else? Or do you have on the wedding garment this morning? Deuteronomy 6.25, it shall be our righteousness if we do what? Which he has commanded us. 
the pure and holy garments are not prepared to be put on by anyone after he has entered the gates of the city. See, part of this theology that is creeping into the church is the fact that when Jesus comes, he's going to transform your character. Uh, ain't going to happen, saints of God. If you wait for your character to be transformed at the second coming of Jesus Christ, I'm here to tell you, you have waited a little too late. It will never happen. The Bible says that when he come, his reward is with him. He's not doing a work of character transformation then. He is giving that gift to those who have already made their calling and election sure. There will be no covering up of sins and faults to hide the deformity of characters. No robes will be half-washed. See, half-washed robe means you're a member of the church in good and regular standing. You even perform the works around the church. But you still haven't made a total surrender. What an utter waste of time. Malachi 3 says, Who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appears? Those who are living upon the earth when the intercession of Christ shall cease in the sanctuary above are to have their robes must be what? Their characters must be what? By the sprinkling. Watch this now. When Jesus stands up, saints of God, how many knows that this will be the exact words he will speak? Revelation 22, 11. He that is unjust, the Bible says, let him be what? He that is filthy, the Bible says what? But he that is righteous, the word of God declares. And he that is holy. When Jesus stands up, it is too late to be saved. If you haven't already made that decision. Through the grace of God and their own diligent effort, they must be conquerors in the battle with evil. When this work shall have been accomplished, the followers of Christ, what? Amen. There must be found in the life unswerving a lineage to God, righteousness without what? A flaw in the character. We must be clothed with what? The righteousness of Christ. And we must stand without blemish before God. Question is, saints of God, right now, this moment, as I'm standing before you, can you say beyond a shadow of doubt that I can stand before God today without a character flaw, without one blemish, without one stain? The requirement that God has made in grace is the requirement that God made in Eden. The righteousness with Christ taught conformity of the heart is the life to be revealed in God. Saints of God, we got to get back to following in the steps of Jesus. If Jesus did it, you and I need to do it. But if Jesus didn't do it, you and I need to stay away from it. Amen. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth to do will. To do what? Take heed, lest he fall. See, the problem is, is that it is entirely possible for us to become comfortable with where we are in the church not realizing that we're wretched and poor and blind and naked in the sight of God. Excitement is not sanctification. This is what sanctification is. It is what, saints of God? Entire conformity to the will of our Father which is in heaven is sanctification. And this will is expressed where? in his holy law. The keeping of the commandments of God is sanctification. Stay with me. Proving yourself obedient children of God's word is sanctification. The word of God is to be our guide, not the opinions or ideals of men. You got to be careful. You got to be extremely careful. Even when leadership tells you it's okay. If the word of God does not okay it, saints of God, Bible I study says we are to obey God rather than men. Amen. Amen. Amen? Those who would be truly sanctified search the word of God how? What else? And what else? With humble contrition of souls.
Okay, I'm coming to a close. The guests at the marriage feast were expected by the king, only those who were accepted, who had obeyed his requirements and put on the wedding garment, were accepted. So it is with the guests at the gospel feast. All must pass the scrutiny of the gay king, and only those are received who have put on the robe of Christ's right. Saints of God, I ask you in sincerity this morning, do you have on the wedding garment that Christ has left on record that should be our covering in the judgment? I don't know about you, but I want that righteousness to cover my sins. I want to be hid in Christ Jesus. I want to be wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in his love. I want the Holy Spirit to operate in my life, working in me both to will and to do of God's good pleasure. I don't know about you, but I want God to have his way in my life. I believe beyond a shadow of doubt that soon and very soon we're going to see Jesus. How many believe that? How many believe that now is the time to make our calling and election sure? How many believe that today is an opportunity to get it right with God? How many believe that? That's your pleasure. If you know, and I don't know nobody here. I don't know nothing about you. Nobody's told me nothing about you. Everything I heard about you has been good. No, that's the truth. That's the truth. But here's what I know. There's somebody under the sound of my voice that needs to make a total surrender to God. You've never done it in your life. You've been living on the fringes. You've been walking on the edges. But you're scared to jump in wholeheartedly. But today God has given you an opportunity to renew that covenant relationship. He's given you that opportunity to walk in the newness of life. He's given you an opportunity to have freedom from sin, iniquity, and transgression if you want it. Is there somebody out there this morning that wants to take this opportunity to stand and renew that relationship with God? But you're standing this time and say, okay, God, I I failed you before, but this time I'm going all the way. I'm withholding from you absolutely nothing. I'm giving you my whole heart. I'm giving you my will. All that I have is thine. Is there somebody here that wants to renew that relationship? You want the righteousness of Christ Jesus to cover you so that when he comes the second time, He'll be able to say of you, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou has been faithful over a few things, and now I'll make thee ruler over many. If that's your case, if that's what you want, I'm going to ask you to stand as we pray a prayer of renewal and commitment to God, if that's what you want. Our Father, which art in heaven, we've we've heard your word. Your spirit has spoken with crystal clarity. Many of us have come to realize that there's been some reservations in our life. Oh, I don't know what they are and really don't care. You know everything. What I care about is that there are individuals who have stood this morning responding to the appeal. I'm praying now that as they have taken a bold stand, that you would honor them with your divine presence in their life. I'm praying that as a result of their standing, that you would renew them this morning in covenant relationship. I'm praying that the almighty God would wash each and every one of us, that we might be whiter than snow. And cover us with the righteousness of Christ Jesus. I'm praying that you would cleanse these earthen vessels so that they can be a fit dwelling place for the spirit of the living God. 
And I am praying that his divine presence in our life would empower us and equip us so that we can live lives that are not only pleasing in your sight, but lives that would vindicate your character and glorify your name. I'm praying this morning that you would make us your spiritual magnets in these closing days of earth's history. I'm praying that you would create in us a sense of urgency so that we can be about (coughs) our father's business (coughs) with a holy zeal that we've never exhibited before in our life. I'm praying now, Father God, that when we leave this sanctuary, we will never be the same. May we leave here having had an encounter with God. And as a result of that encounter, we are now new creatures in Christ Jesus, candidates for immortality. And we're thanking you for what the spirit of the living God has wrought today. Let the people of God say in one voice, amen.